listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 On a day in which we are still reeling from a couple of late finishes in the NBA, down to the wire they go in the bubble, and the return of college football later on tonight. What is the Vegas lead here on a Thursday? Well, Joe, I mean, as much as I like college football, we can't say Southern Miss and South Alabama is the lead, can we? <laughs> nah. Let's go with, and we're going to do a little nuance here. How much does it matter the way the refs seem to play such a role? Because to me, there's a couple of ways to approach this. One is to say, oh, wow, both games could have went the other way. Let's invalidate them somehow. Or it can be, hey, it's all in the game. It, sometimes you get the call, sometimes you don't. How much does it matter? Maybe I'll just start with you asking you that. You can kind of reset it, but... I'm interested to hear how much does it matter to you because the games are final, the results are in the book. I mean, if we're just going specifically to, say, Miami and Milwaukee, uh, I didn't like either call. um, But at the same time, I'm not outraged by it because I feel like they kind of evened each other out. And maybe that's not a healthy way to look at it and it's not the right approach to take. But I look at it and say – did the team that most deserved to win win the game, and that was Miami? And so I'm not as outraged as, say, some other bad calls in other sports throughout the course of history. Now, that's an interesting way to look at it. So what you're saying is, if I look at the whole game holistically, I feel like Miami should have won. Now, this is your perspective. Yeah. And you're saying, hey, if the last call, which allowed Miami to win, isn't something I agree with, yeah, okay, but the right team won, which – would be different than, hey, I think the other team should have won and the call at the end caused the wrong team to win. So your point is you start with who should have won and as long as they won, you don't care as much about how they got there. Yeah, I don't like the fact that they butchered two calls. I'm, I'm not happy about that because I wouldn't have made either call. But I can go to bed and not be bothered by it as much as, say, the NFC title game between the Rams and the Saints because that one side clearly got jobbed more than the other, and there was no really opportunity to get the result that maybe one team should have deserved had the call been made. It strikes me that... If we wanted to minimize the chance of these calls interfering with the legitimate result, what the um, righteous result would have been, we need to have less calls. Meaning it seems like very rarely does a no call lead to a big problem. Now, if a call is correct, meaning, yes, it was a foul, it should have been called, and there's no call, You can make the case that no call was wrong and thus the call would have helped it, no doubt. But in general, that mistake, not making the call, seems small relative to the big, hey, he's shooting a three, there's hardly any chance he's going to make it. Oh, he comes down on the other guy's ankle, foul. All of a sudden now that call is a drastic difference, whereas not as much if the whistles are just more in the pockets. You know, the hands are in the pockets, less calls. Obviously not letting calls go you think are clear, but if if there's any doubt, don't call it. Would that be a good directional move of the NBA? If they just gave a mandate, hey, if you're not certain, don't call it. We'd have less fouls, let them play. To me, I think I'd like it better. Yeah, I'd be okay with that as long as they're consistent. That's the only thing. But but when there's human human decision-making, just intrinsically, the flaws are going to be when they're not consistent, right? They're going to make... 
you know, different calls at different points, right? Like Houston OKC, when they called James Harden for grabbing Chris Paul at the end, you could make that call every single inbounds pass, but for whatever reason, they decided at that moment that was the time to make a call. Some people say, well, the refs are trying to, you know, insert themselves into the to the outcome of the game. I don't know if it goes that far, but I just, it's the inconsistency that I think people are frustrated with. I think that there's a pink elephant in the room that needs to be pointed at and maybe, (laughs) hey, everyone, look, pink elephant, and here's what it is. The NBA has a history, and this goes back notably to the entire David Stern tenure, which was they want these series to extend, that if a team's up 2-0, they won their first two home games, and again, this is the bubble, it's different, but first two home games – Game three, boy, it seemed like the official was on the side of that home team a lot. Now, as a fan, did you see that? Was there a time even pre-getting involved with Vegas, getting involved with the gambling conspiracies that are out there? Because in the gambling community, that was a known consideration. Oh, Stearns wants this one to go. We'll be fine on the ref side. It was heard a hundred times by me over the years. Were you aware of that, that, hey, if a team's down 2-0, they probably get the calls in game three? I didn't really think about it until the Tim Donahue stuff came out. And then you start looking back and go, you know, that does seem a little bit funny. And maybe that's because I wasn't in Vegas, so I wasn't thinking in that in those terms, and my mind wasn't there. But I didn't really start to think about it until the Tim Donahue stuff came out, and you went back and looked at Sacramento and the Lakers mm-hmm. um, and all these other examples, and you go – Wow, if it happened there, I mean, the chances of those being the only times in the history of the NBA that that sort of sort of thinking went into games as far as trying to extend series, it, it to me seems far-fetched, so it had to have happened elsewhere. And here's the thing. If there's a human error involved, when humans are involved, there's going to be that error. It's especially insidious. It's especially dangerous for the game if there's also a sense that they're, they're playing favorites. Because if someone makes a mistake, you've heard the phrase, an innocent mistake. You make an innocent mistake, everyone shrugs. Even if it's something that's bad for you, you kind of get it. Now, if it's horrible for you, yeah, maybe you get really upset, but you get it. But if you think there's a overarching agenda, there's something they want to accomplish beyond letting the games play out, then when a mistake happens, how innocent is it? Maybe it's innocent still, but you know they have an agenda, so how can you be sure? So in general, this feeds upon itself. Human error, agendas, do they overlap? And I think with Stern back in the day, it would have made a lot of sense. Not saying I have any proof of it, not to, but what I know is this. The league wasn't always so ca- – it wasn't billion. How many billions are we going to bank this year? It was a question of, is this league going to survive at some points? And pre-Jordan, I think that's very fair to say. There's the you know, over-told story now of tape-delayed NBA Finals games. But there's some truth to it. Right? Imagine the NBA Finals not being played live on your TV. We were there pre-Bird, pre-Magic. And the idea of saying, hey, this team's up 2-0. We don't want a four-game sweep. Now, what did they do in those cases? Because a lot of people are going to say, RJ, do you think they fixed those games? I actually don't think they fixed those games. I think they did the following. 
Certain types of teams do better with certain types of officials. Let's use Zion as an example, which I believe he's one of the prominent ones in the current NBA. He benefits if there's based upon the he's a very physical offensive player and there's a certain style refereeing Jonas and maybe you can explain this better than me what that style would be in which Zion benefit and Shaq was like this Zion benefits from and I, and I would say it's probably more that if there's more foul calls it helps Zion because he's going to have a bunch of contact anyway is that how you see it with Zion specifically? Yeah, and also because later in the game, players are going to are not wanting to get in more foul trouble, so they're going to not play as tough a defense, which is easier for Zion to get to the basket, which is really his game and what he specializes at. So let's keep it that simple and say, okay, now the Pelicans are in a certain game. The NBA wishes they win that game. Do they fix it? No. But they very well could announce the official – or dictate the official who's going to call Zion favorably, not out of any agenda, but rather it's his natural style as an official, and it benefits Zion. Another example of this, and maybe more prominent, in the gambling community, there are certain referees that are known, statistically proven, to be affected by the home team's crowd more. Now, that wouldn't be the case in the current bubble, but in any other time, it'd be like, okay, home team's down 0-2, crowd's going to be rocking. Let's get that official that lets the crowd, and we see it statistically, how many fouls are called for the home team away. Get him in there. Now, is that fixing the game? No. Is it influencing the game? It is. I don't think it's beyond the NBA at various times to have done that. And if not... Can we look at these mistakes and say, oh, innocent human error? I think it's tougher because of the history. And I think there's a big difference between fixing and influencing. It's it's the same thing with when they talk about tanking in the NFL. The Jaguars are the most recent example. I don't think that the coaches or players are, t- are tanking or trying to quit on the season. But I do think that the front office is trying to influence their ability to win games. And I think there's a big difference between the two. And I think the same thing happens in the NBA. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Check this out, Jonas. So Scott Foster, we'll say he's affi- or was affiliated with uh, Tim Donahue, who now it's been 10 plus years, an NBA official who was uh, allegedly influencing game outcomes with alleged gambling. <laughs> I personally, it was the first thing that gave me any national profile. I did some research on it that was original way back when, and we uncovered, I think it was, it's been about 15 straight, now I think about it, games in which when Donahue was refereeing, that when the line moved drastically, which was a sign of betting public or the betting being disproportionate, so one team was getting bet a lot more, the team that got bet more won 15 straight games. And that is pretty much 50-50 after the line move. Because if it wasn't, why not just bet the games everyone's already bet already? And we know that doesn't work. 15 straight was a shocker. And here we are. <laughs> you can blame Donahue for this. <laughs> Chris Paul, Thunder Guard, says, and this is coming from Paul now, and Mark Spears put this out, that Scott Foster 
made a point to tell him before Game 7 loss that he refed his Game 7 loss to the Spurs in 2008 when CP3 was with the Hornets. So Foster's walking out, who again was affiliated with Donahue, beyond what normal officials, let's say, would be, you know, casually. And he's telling Chris Paul, hey, I was there when you lost the last game seven. What the heck is that? (laughs) I mean, who knows? That could have been Chris Paul sort of spinning that after the game, uh, trying to, you know, come up with another reason as to why he came. Yeah, but would you say something that would be so easily debunked? I mean, right? well, Usually if you're going to fib about something, it's going to be about something you can't disprove. Now, Mackenzie, throw up there because you were talking about Chris Paul and Foster's history when it comes to results. Um, okay, Chris Paul has lost the last nine playoff games, the Foster referee. <laughs> so now what's interesting is why would he go back to the 2008 one? It would have been funny if Foster would have said, you know, in these nine games, boom, 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 you know. I ref those. You know your record? 0-9. Good luck tonight. <laughs> I don't know if he's – but uh, it is curious if you have a referee ridiculing you and you've lost nine straight games that he's refed. Why would Adam Silver, if he knows this and knows this is going to be a topic of conversation and they've had issues with Donahue, why would he even put Foster in that spot to ref that game? From what I can gather, Foster is amongst the five or seven most uh, – High-profile refs, I guess maybe that's not the meaning. If you look at the referees in the playoff rotations, Foster's usually right in the middle of it. Yeah. And you're right. To some degree, you could say with the quote-unquote stink he has on him, and I'm not saying it's fair that he has stink, but maybe stink, let's call it. Maybe the NBA's thinking if we show weakness <laughs> – Think about it. If you took Foster and ran him out of the league or you didn't let him referee any important games, doesn't that tell you that he was involved before? By doing this, it's like, and I'm not saying I have experience with this, but let's say you're with a girl and there's another girl that she thinks you have a shine for. If you're at the same party and you ignore her, does it look bad? Yeah. You walk up, start laughing, touch your elbow. All of a sudden, you're innocent. I don't know. There's different ways to look at it. But my thought is the NBA is going, listen, we're not scared of your accusation. Put Foster in the middle of it all. And apparently Foster's laughing his way to who knows what because he's ridiculing everyone for the results of the games. I guess the X-Files is appropriate right here. You know what's funny, though? The more that you get older, the more that you have experience, all of the ridiculous conspiracies, like the fact that, you know, we didn't do a moon landing or whatever, you almost got to wonder if the real conspiracies work to put the ridiculous ones out there so it debunks anyone that thinks a conspiracy. (laughs) Right. Because there's a lot of conspiracies going on. Yeah. There's a lot. (laughs) I mean, there's just too many people with too many billions of dollars at stake. And I'm not even talking NBA. I'm talking about in the world. When all those people drop dead, you know, when Putin's enemies get poisoned. (laughs) No, that's a coincidence. They're all getting poisoned. That was tape of Steve Fezzik saying that, by the way. I don't know. (laughs) Steve Fezzik. He's back tomorrow. I'll give you his address if you need to. (laughs) 
Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Our NFL team previews, and it brings us to team number six, your Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, my Steelers, Fez with his pick on it, and he has a best bet on this one. I am skeptical of it, but it's really well stated. Let's listen. Number 16, Pittsburgh Steelers, over nine and a half wins. I like it. Pittsburgh managed to win eight games last year, despite absolutely horrific quarterback play from both Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges. Rudolph was the lowest rated quarterback in QBR amongst those quarterbacks that qualified. And Devlin Hodges, he was even a little worse. Now we bring Big Ben back. Big Ben in 2017 and 2018 was a top six quarterback. You know what? I don't need Big Ben to be a top six quarterback. As long as Big Ben is even an average quarterback, that offense for the Steelers will be slightly above average and that defense will be elite. If Pittsburgh could win eight games with a horrific offense last year, they can certainly win 10 with an average or better offense this year. I'm on the Pittsburgh Steelers over nine and a half best bet. Over nine and a half is the pick from Steve Fezzik. By the way, two we're doubling up tomorrow, Jonas. Two NFL previews. Number five and number four on Friday, six Eastern, FSR. Now, here's where I'm skeptical. Fezzik is tricky. Oh, so tricky. When it suits him, he'll say, and I, I'm not saying his voice is this high, but it kind of is. Eh, Green Bay is uh, a nine-win team, even though they won 13. It's like, well, how is that? Fetch? Well, look at the look at the stats. It's like, well, wait a minute. The stats matter when it's convenient to Fez, but apparently now he wants to be pro Pittsburgh. Stats don't matter. It's they won eight, but how many close games did Pittsburgh win? How many stats? If you look at their stats, they were like a five and a half win team. Give them credit for winning, but you can't have it both ways. I also question this. Big Ben, we can act like 2018 is the year we're going to look at. He played a game and a half in 2019. He was horrible. Now he will be almost 20. He'll be 20 months older when he takes a snap in week one than he was the last time he played a decent brand of football. We know Big Ben is probably not going to age well as a quarterback. And as a Steeler fan, I say that sadly because he took a lot of hits. I don't think there's ever been a quarterback tougher than Big Ben. And people will say, oh, he'll tell you about it. Yeah, Einstein might have said he was smart. Doesn't mean he wasn't smart. Big Ben is a tough mofo. But those hits, they age you. I'm concerned it's been 20 months since he's played well. Maybe he will? I'm not certain. So you combine the fact that last year's eight wins was deceiving with Big Ben's a bigger question mark than people think. I don't say I love the under, but I'm not as high on over nine and a half Pittsburgh's wins as Fezzik is. What do you think, Jonas? And also, I mean, you know, the loss of Le'Veon Bell, I think they just assume that, oh, well, you know, uh, James Conner will just step right in and fill that void. He wasn't all that great last year. Juju Smith. And remember, Conner, though, was there in 18. Yeah. With Big, yeah. But Juju Smith-Schuster wasn't all that great last year when he had the opportunity to step in there. And we've never seen a quarterback try and make a comeback off the surgery that Roethlisberger got. So to me, it's a big question mark. And if you do like Pittsburgh, I think look at title odds because I consider Pittsburgh to be a high-variance team, which means it's very possible they could win seven games. Very possible. But it's also possible they can win 12. If Big Ben does surprise us, that D is a monster. 
So I'm not anxious to go over under nine and a half either way. I would love to be able to go under seven with a big payoff or over 12 with a big payoff. You know, give me, you know, I don't know, plus right. 450 or whatever. I think Pittsburgh is a high variance team. And those are the type of teams you want to play to win the Super Bowl if you think they have a chance. So if you did feel optimism about Pittsburgh, I'd look more toward the Super Bowl than over on the win total. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.